Hi, everyone. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm with Origami. Origami helps communities launch and grow their DAOs. And this time of year, a lot of us are thinking about taxes, which are a little bit, let's say, tricky at times when it comes to crypto. But we shouldn't feel overwhelmed. And to help us get through this, I invited Matt on here to talk about how we can think about taxes and tax preparation if we're in the crypto community. Matt, can you introduce yourself? I'm Matt Graham. I am a tax consultant at Moth Adam. Most of what I do is in the state tax realm, but like many of us in the blockchain and crypto environment, I do have a blockchain crypto side hustle within my firm. So I am also the blockchain innovation team lead within the firm. It's been a really exciting role in terms of kind of building out our capabilities and educating our people on these topics. What's Moss Adams? Moss Adams County firm that I work for. I'm an attorney and a CPA. I've got kind of a different skill set than some folks. And so I've kind of found myself in the consulting side of the house, but uh, we're a Seattle-based firm, uh, one of the only based on the West Coast of our size. And uh, we do a lot of kind of the traditional tax and audit work, but we also have a, a wide suite of different types of services we offer. All right. We have a good agenda here for today. And one of the things that kicks this off for me is the realization that just about anywhere else where I get money, I end up with a 1099 around this time of year. When it comes to decentralized autonomous organizations, what's their relationships with 1099s? This is kind of like that old quote from Ben Franklin, nothing in this world escapes uh, death and taxes. And so crypto is, is exactly the same way and then same with DAOs. And so when it comes to interacting with a DAO, whether you're investing or contributing or you're participating in the governance mechanisms, uh, a lot of DAOs do not necessarily issue 1099s or W-2s. Uh, in a way that makes it easy for participants to report their taxes similar to the way you would in a more traditional job um, or a traditional investment or activity. Okay, so 1099 explains to me clearly how much money I got from an organization the previous year. If I don't get that from a DAO, what are some of the tax considerations that I need to keep in mind and how do I understand what I've earned? Yeah, good question. So I think, um, and, and forgive me, I'm going to kind of go, go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but but bear with me. So I think there's there's probably three kind of angles to look at this through. There's people who invest in DAOs and so you buy and sell tokens at gains and that has its own special treatment. The second bucket would be kind of participating in the governance process of a DAO where you're compensated uh, for your Maybe you're acting as a corporate officer for the DAO um, and you're compensated for that. And then I think maybe the third bucket to think about is contributing to a DAO ecosystem uh, as maybe a content creator or something like that. And these different, uh, these different approaches have different taxation rules that can attach to that. And so I think it, um, it'd be helpful to kind of go into um, e each one of these in just, in just a tad more detail to kind of help understand what that might look like. So the the first grouping there, so investing in DAO tokens, I think, you know, a lot of people say, okay, well, yeah, how, how do I calculate gains and losses on these things? And, and what's the approach? It's not as hard as you might think. What, you know, dial it back and just think of it more or less the same as buying shares of Apple or Google in your Robinhood account. You buy something for $1,000 and you sell it for $2,000. 
you had a $1,000 gain. You pay capital gains tax on that gain. That might be a short-term gain or a long-term gain, depending on how long you held it. Um, and, and sometimes it's a little bit more difficult to understand maybe the basis uh, that what you paid for that token, if you maybe paid Bitcoin for it or something like that. And there are some, some rules around that. But at a high level, it, it's probably easier than I think a lot of people think it is in, in just that kind of DAO investing. And when we're doing that calculation, we're converting the price to U.S. dollars at the time of purchase to get our cost basis, and then at the time of sale to help figure out our gain and our loss. Exactly. Yeah, you're, okay. you're generally looking at that fair market value at the time of acquisition versus the fair market value at the time of sale. Uh, and and so you, you've got those kind of two different data points, which you know may be measured in crypto at the time, but you can convert them to U.S. dollars to to do your tax reporting. And we'll talk a little bit more later about uh, some of the tools that you can use to help you with that. Uh, you're not necessarily stuck on your own. There are some ways to automate that. Meaning I don't have to sit down with a spreadsheet or a piece of paper. There's some software that will do much of this for me. Exactly. Okay, fair. Exactly. Okay, so that's people who are investing in DAO tokens. How about the next step in, which is, participating in governance process. Yeah. So let's say, you know, you're, you're more active in a DAO and, and you get uh, elected through kind of a, a DAO, DAO election mechanism to be, you know, function as maybe like a corporate officer or something like that. And, and the DAO is paying you to do that. And, and the DAO may be paying you to do that in DAO tokens. Um, in that situation, that, that can be a little bit odd because sometimes the DAO is not registered for payroll taxes. And so the DAO may not be withholding payroll taxes and remitting them to the government in the same way that they would be, uh, that, you know, any, any standard employer would be doing that for you when you get your W-2 at the end of the year and it says we withheld you know, Medicare and Social Security and federal income tax. Uh, so if the DAO is not reporting that for you, you may have some more obligation on your end to, uh, to report some of those taxes and make quarterly, uh, tax payments. So if, if you are functioning in that role, it's really important to make sure you understand what the DAO is potentially reporting, uh, on their end and withholding and what, uh, what you are going to be paying tax on. And if the DAO is not withholding, you should definitely work with a, a tax professional to kind of figure out how you may need to um, uh, make changes on your personal return to account for that. Because if they're not withholding taxes on the work that I have done for them, that means it's my responsibility to pay taxes on that on that earned um, amount from e that work. Ex exactly. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, just like you know, anybody who works at, you know, Best Buy or McDonald's or what have you, you know, you get that paycheck and you see FICA steals about, you know, a good chunk of your income every month. And so uh if it, it, it and that's and for your money, uh, at least some of it that's going to the state. And so if you haven't paid that in as withhold help from your paycheck, you you may have to pay it on your tax return itself. Instead of comparing it to somebody who works for Best Buy, wouldn't I compare it to someone who's a consultant who gets paid for work and then has to pay taxes? Essentially, that's what you are, even though you're not getting a 1099, which is that formal document that says how much you've earned, right? Yeah, it, it can depend on the relationship with the organization. So if a DAO elects somebody to function maybe more like a corporate officer and they're, uh, you know, they're full-time dedicated to this role. 
that's what they're doing. They're, they're not, you know, they have a bunch of side gigs or hustles or anything like that, you know, and they, they are functionally an employee of the organization. Then mm-hmm. you would generally, in, in those situations, you're paid more like a W, a W2 employee, which is different than being paid as an independent contractor, which is when you would get a 1099. And so, um, and then there's some rules, there's a, a multi-factor test to determine which bucket you fall into. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are more like an independent contractor, then you'd be looking at kind of standard income tax and self-employment tax that you would report on your return, uh, um, versus kind of having the W-2 and having the company withhold portions on your behalf. And so right. it, it, it's really important to make sure you understand your relationship with the Dow and whether you're technically an employee or an independent contractor. And, you know, the paperwork doesn't even necessarily control that. It's really, you know, there's rules that, that guide that. So it's really important that you understand what your role is with respect to that employee versus contractor. Okay. So to simplify what you've said, there are two t- types of working relationships that a person could have with an organization. The first is an employee. That's the standard stuff that we see anything from Best Buy on up to any other company, right? They do work. They get paid, and then as a result, the company has to withhold taxes and have certain uh, and treat them in a certain way. On the other hand, there's some contractors who come in and out who aren't told what time to show up, how to do the work exactly, and they get paid per result. If you are an employee, the company has obligations to you, including withholding taxes. If they don't do that, you need to have a tax professional handle that for you, and frankly, if you're a full-time employee, but they just happen to not call you a full-time employee because they don't want to withhold taxes, that's on them. They basically are obligated to still withhold taxes and they will be penalized for that. And we've seen countless examples of organizations being penalized for calling someone a contractor when in reality, they're a full-time employee. And in reality, the organization had to do all those things that we've talked about, including withholding taxes. So That's exactly right. We would need a profession, a tax professional to help us for sure if we're in a situation where we're an employee, but we didn't have any of the withholding and, and all the rest. If we are a contractor and we're participating in the governance process and, and the rest, what's, what's it on us to do? Is it just a matter of putting it into software or asking our accountant uh, to calculate the taxes that we need to pay on that? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So when, when it comes to kind of, you know, getting paid as a contractor, um, there, there's some considerations as to whether or not you might want to have a business entity set up. Some, some folks will set up their own LLC to kind of, you know, track their business expenses that may be associated with that activity, which, which would generally be helpful. Um, but there is software that can say, okay, you know, this is, if you're receiving a hundred DAO tokens per month to provide these services as part of your role within the DAO, then those tokens are valued at this much at these times. And this is your contractor compensation, which you would okay. owe, um, you know, potentially, you know, income tax and uh, self-employment tax. That's an interesting point too, that we could earn money in a token that has a a high value at the time that we've earned it and a lower value at the time that we're paying taxes. Our tax yeah. bill is based on when we received it, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So, and this is a very common issue that we come across in the uh, tax uh, tax consulting space around crypto. Is you might receive crypto and, and maybe you, you get it and it's worth $1,000 when you received it. And that, that's your measure of income. You have $1,000 of income at that point. 
but then that, that, and you hold on to it, you don't liquidate it. And that goes down in value to maybe $500 later and you sell it. And you might have a capital lock on that sale and when you sell it later, but you still have that $1,000 of income you earned mm. earlier. And so you can end up with a situation, and we've seen this before, where the tax you owe outstripped the cash you have because of because you didn't liquidate uh, your tokens or crypto at the time that you earned it. And so you, you, you essentially have just enough money to pay your taxes. Uh, it's really unfortunate when that happens, but, but we have seen it happen before. Okay, that's a fair point. All right. And so, and also if I've earned the money and then it lost value and I sell it, that, that loss is different from the, from what I, it's a different type of income. Yeah, we than call it a different character I, of income. Different character of income. So it's not like I could say, well, I had a loss here on this token and I had earnings over here on the work I did counteract them and then basically negate them. But it doesn't work that way. It's two different kinds of income. Yeah, exactly. They, these two different characters of income. And you, you can sometimes take uh, net losses on things against your, your ordinary income. Um, but you, a lot of times there's limitations uh, depending on the, the character of those gains. There can be limitations on that such that it might not offset everything. And so you could still end up in a situation where you're, you're having to pay tax um, that's that's maybe higher than what you would have expected compared to what you have at the end of the day based on value changes over time. I talked with the chairman of WorkDAO. They're there to handle these types of issues for members of DAOs. And he said that what they do at WorkDAO is calculate the taxes due or, es or do their best to estimate, sell a portion of the tokens for that amount and then automatically hold on to it. And that way there isn't this issue of figuring out whether the token will go up and down in value. You just do it automatically at this. That, the that's, a, that's a great recommendation. And that's, uh, yeah, that's probably one of the, the secret sauce recipes that we, uh, you know, deliver as part of our consulting services. These are the types of things you have to think about um, in, in terms of kind of making sure that you're hedging your risk appropriately. So that you can at least pay your taxes, but you can still hold on to those tokens or whatnot um, if you think there's an upside potential. Okay. The third category you gave me was people who are contributing to the DAO ecosystem. A content creator, for example, someone who's doing a podcast for a DAO might earn tokens in the town or in a DAO in return for doing it. Ditto for somebody who's physically building a structure on a DAO that's, say, uh, trying to create a campground. They're they're both earning. Why are you why are you distinguishing between someone who's earning money for governance versus someone who's earning money for the actual work of the DAO? Yeah. So the the governance aspect because because you can kind of get placed into almost like a corporate officer type role within the governance aspect, you can be looked at potentially more like an employee. Whereas if you're merely a contributor, you're really you're setting your own hours. You're choosing what you want to work on. You, you can pull out anytime you want. Generally, um, there's that you have a lot more freedom. And in that sense, you're, you're almost always an independent contractor as a contributor. I see. But if so, in the second category where we said, if you're participating in the governance process, I guess we could expand that, can't we? To if you're like an essential part of the DAO or someone who has an ongoing role that's more employee like. I would imagine somebody whose role is to be a community leader 
in some DAOs, that's so critical. It has a certain number of hours that they're online. They do onboarding calls. That person might might also fit into that second category. So, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So if you're more of like an employee, that second category is right for you, even if technically you're a contractor. This last one is for someone who's contributing. They make their own hours. They are much more like a contractor. Got it. They're much more of the type of person that we would expect to to jump in and out of a project, do it their way, maybe show up again, maybe never do business again. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Contributor. Yeah. I think I, that that's what, the way I kind of like to break these down because they do have these different tax characteristics to think okay. about. Um, and so for the, the contributors, you know, generally you're looking at, you know, being treated as an independent contractor. So you've got, you know, your self-employment tax piece, which is, you know, 15, right around 15 and a quarter percent. Uh, you got your, uh, federal income tax, which depending on how much you're making, you know, it's at least 15% usually going up from there. Um, and then, um, and then depending on where you are, you can also have state income tax on that as well. So, you know, California is like 9.3%. Of taxable income so it can add up pretty quickly you know that those those few numbers you know add, add up to almost 40 percent um and a lot of people think like oh my goodness like every every penny i earn you know, could be could be taxed up to 40 percent. that could be tough um but that, that's why you know getting back to your point it might make sense to set aside the cash in anticipation of owing some taxes at some point okay so for the contributor they're going to need to know what they earned how much it, it's, it was worth at the time they earned it in U.S. dollars, and that's it. And then they pay taxes on that. When they sold it, it has no bearing on that amount. When The second thing they need to think about is when they sold it, did it rise or did it go up or down in value based on when they, when they received it? And if it went up, then they have to pay taxes on that. If they, when there's a tax, uh, then they have to pay taxes on that if it goes down then uh, I guess they can use it to wipe away some taxes on other um, uh, capital gains. Yeah, yeah. When, once you have the tokens and you've been paid for whatever service you've provided as a contributor, and uh, once you have those tokens in your pocket, then it almost kind of pushes you back into our first bucket when we were talking about buying and selling stocks, where you really take the, the fair market value of it when you received it. That's your basis because that's what you're going to mm-hmm. pay tax on. And then your uh, price when you sell it, uh, or the value of when uh, of it when you sell it, and you either have a gain or a loss. Um, and so you could have, you know, both, you know, uh, income as a contributor, but also income that's capital gain in nature to pay uh, from buying and selling those tokens uh, after you've received them. So okay, it's too late to do it in March or April, but if I saw a loss at the end of the year and I had a gain on another asset that I was waiting to sell, I would sell the asset that's losing money and then sell an equivalent amount of the asset that made money and have a little bit of a neg- of a of an evil, what is it called? How, how do you explain yeah, what I'm yeah, trying so we, to say? Yeah, so, so there's, there's two components there. What, what you're talking about, we call that loss harvesting. Um, and then also, um, when you have, you know, gains and losses that are offsetting, that's a netting process. 
So, um, so that's a very common tactic is say, say I've got, a, I've got some losses. I, you know, maybe I've got some old Terra Luna that lost a bunch of value and I don't think it's coming back after what happened with them. Um, you know, so I, I want to get rid of those and, and take my loss on them. You sell that, you take your loss. Um, and then you, maybe you've got some appreciated, uh, you know, what, whatever it is, Shiba coin or something. Amazon. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, even, even an Amazon stock or an Apple stock, right? You yeah. can counteract it. Yeah. The difference is I couldn't then, I couldn't sell Amazon and then buy it the very next day. I have to wait 30 days or else it's considered not a real sell. Right. Yeah. And what you're talking about buy it. Yeah, that's called wash sale rules. Um, so you can't necessarily like sell something, take a loss on it, and then buy it right back um, to just be able to harvest that loss. At least you can't do that with you know the traditional publicly traded stocks. The wash sale rules don't necessarily apply to crypto um, and tokens. So you, so we do see some instances uh, where some folks will. Um, harvest those losses and just buy the token back and and you're not necessarily prohibited from taking that loss in certain circumstances. Okay, so then if I had a loss on Luna, I sell it and then at the same time I sell some Bitcoin that I might have had a long-term gain on and then immediately after selling the Bitcoin, buy it again at the basically the same price. And now I'm still holding on to the Bitcoin, but I've reduced some of my taxes. Yeah, that, that's it's not an uncommon strategy that we see. Um, and there's there's some there's some legislation out there that we're anticipating is going to close that hole here probably in the next year or so. But um, you know we all know how well everything moves in DC. So uh, fingers crossed we we get you know some some more clear legislation on these things. But that that may close at some point. Okay, I imagine it would. And I would I should say also it's not that you that you save your taxes today. It's just that later on when you eventually sell Bitcoin for good, that's when your tax basis, when your cost basis is higher. And so the taxes you pay would be lower. Exactly. Okay, I'm with you. So we've talked about tax considerations for the three different groups of people who are involved in DAOs. People who invest in DAOs, they're just buying and selling tokens because they believe in projects or they don't. People who are participating in it, like fully immersed in it, is, that, is how I might say it. Yep. Uh, whether it's governance or something else. And then we talked about people who are contributing to the DAO ecosystem. Um, let's, let's move on to the next uh, section of our conversation, which is some takeaways that make this manageable. We've talked about the big ideas. Now, what do we do? What's the actionable part? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, you know, number one, first and foremost, keep good records as, as much as you can. If you're, if you're receiving tokens, make sure you've got very clear understanding of how many wallets you have, what those wallets are. Uh, I usually tell folks, just create a Word doc that you keep a lot of this stuff in, where, you know, your, your wallet IDs, what DAOs you've contributed to, um, to, to at least kind of keep some of this straight. Uh, and then- Matt, I have oh, yeah. to say, I've tried to do that. I'm- I'm obsessed with Notion. I've got notes on my conversation with you going back to the very first time we talked in a Notion doc. And so I thought, okay, I'll create a Notion doc with any transaction that I have that's crypto related. I did it for a while. And then what would happen is something would happen quickly. And there's no way that I could stop and say, let me think through how I write this down. And so I wouldn't write it down because it's only $50 or it's only yeah. $100 or it's, and yep. I need to move on. And then I, I 
stop keeping track of it. And I feel guilty. But at the same time, I keep thinking there's no way that that's the answer. There's got to be something else I could do retroactively, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. And so this is why I think when you think about keeping records, it's really good to keep a record of, you know, start with mainly trying to track your wallet, not necessarily every single transaction. And then when you get to the end of the end of the year, um, and you're thinking, okay, well, we gotta, we gotta get our tax stuff together and, and get, you know, figure out what we need to pay tax on. There are some, some great software solutions that, that really streamline this and make it manageable for a lot, you know, m- most folks. So, um, <clears throat> there, you know, I'll call out a few, few of these, some of which I've used, some of which I haven't, but I've heard good things. Um, so legible, uh, legible. Bitwave, Luca, Taxbit, Token Tax, Zen Ledger, Coin Tracker, and Coinly. Um, these are the ones that I hear about and/or have uh, used personally. And these are these are great platforms. They they all have their kind of different pieces of them and, and different pros and cons. But one of the great things you can do is you can plug in all of your public addresses on your wallet. Say you type in your public key for, you know, maybe you got four different wallets. And what those systems can help you do is pull down all of the transactions and help sort through which are incoming things where it would be either gain or income, which ones are wallet to wallet transfers that, that wouldn't be taxable, and then which ones are maybe liquidations in which you have a capital gain or a loss. And, and then in those situations, it helps you track your basis and your gain and helps you kind of through that process of what, you know, I, I have all this, you know, transaction data, what does that mean in dollars and cents? And that helps you convert that. And, and those systems can also help you produce uh, part of your tax forms to help fill out your tax return. And so that, that's really the bridge for a lot of people is you can go to one of these websites. You don't necessarily have to have some sort of special coin or token to be able to use their services, which is nice. Um, you can, you know, you can just go in and run a credit card and, um, and be able to purchase those. So that's, uh, those are great, great products to be able to kind of bridge that gap. I think you might be muted, Andrew. I'm on them right now and I couldn't keep track of all the ones you gave. So we'll have a, a, copy uh, from the transcript list that you gave out, and I'll make sure to include that in our uh, in our show notes. But Taxbit I got, Legible I got, they're both accounting software that just pulls data in from my wallets and organizes it for me. It seems like, is that what all the ones that you gave do? Um, yes. And, and some of them are, are, you know, have different tools that may be more appropriate for somebody who's operating more of a business and like through an LLC, whereas some of the tools may, may be more appropriate for just the, the average Joe, they don't have their LLC. They're just kind of buying and selling Dow token or they're doing some one-off contribution projects and things like that. Um, so the, the different, the different products may be, uh, appropriate for different types of situations. Okay. All right. What other tools are there? What other um, actionable uh, messages can we leave people with? Yeah, I think the, the the big piece of it that that I like to try to you know tell folks is that there's kind of maybe like what I would call a reasonableness threshold here. If you have a fairly simple situation, 
you can, you know, in most situations, you may be able to just hop onto one of these tax software programs, run your report, you know, or the, um, one of these token tax type products, run your system, run your info through that, get your report out, use that to prepare your tax return in TurboTax or whatever you're using. And you may be able to do that, you know, in a self-help sense. But um, in terms of kind of other tools, the, you know, when you have a little bit more complicated situation, the other tool is really a, a qualified professional. Uh, there, the, some of these situations can be more complex and it can get really, really complicated if we're talking about international transactions. You know, a lot of these DAOs and things like that are set up overseas. And so there could be international tech considerations as well. And, and the, the problem you run into is some folks think their situation is a lot more simplistic than it is. Um, and they may be missing some of those more complex, uh, reporting requirements. And so in, in that sense, we, we generally you know, recommend, you know, if you have more than just a very simple situation, you should at least talk to a qualified professional that understand, uh, blockchain and crypto and token economic to, to see if you have anything that requires a little bit more careful attention. What's the difference with an international doubt? If they're giving me a token, wouldn't I just convert it back to U.S. dollars at the time I got it and then pay taxes based on that? Why does it matter where they're located? That's a good question. It, it could really depend on um, a, a variety of things in terms of, you know, whether you're kind of functionally an independent contractor or an employee. And then if you're earning money from a company in another country, so like maybe that DAO is set up in Germany. Um, you know, do you owe German income tax on those payments? Um, is there, is there value added tax that could apply to some of these things? There, there's some of these implications that, you know, it's really going to depend on the country and whether or not maybe we have a tax treaty with them and the nature of the work performed, but there could potentially be some forward withholding consideration. A lot of people do this in the British Virgin Islands. Do you have a sense of whether the Brit that's where a lot of DAOs yep. seem to have their entities? Is there a tax implication to doing some to doing business with a BVI company? Uh, yeah, no, it's a, a good question. And, and again, it really comes down to kind of your um, your relationship with the organization and the way that you're interacting with them and what you're getting paid for. Um, a lot of folks go to the BVI because they're very tax friendly. And as a general matter, uh, a lot of DAO participants won't necessarily have a, an, an international component um, with regard to maybe receiving tokens from a DAO and BVI. Okay. Um, but uh, there's, there's a lot more to that story. And, and I'm not an international tax person. And so I, I will stop there before I get over my skis. I should say that um, Google, at least through the first search result, results, says there's zero, it's a zero rated income tax regime. Yep. And then Marshall, Marshall Island seems to be the same, but uh, the tax rate is USD 80 on the first, I don't know, actually. Do you know anything about the Marshall Islands? Marshall like Islands, tax? I, if I recall correctly, are the Marshall Island, US territory? I'm not sure. You know what? I don't I think they're not, but they do but they do use US case law and they do have a connection back to the US even if they're not if they're not a territory 
the the way others are. I I don't know. It's a good I don't question, know on right? that one. That's a, you're testing my geography skill. <laughs> uh, let's see. I just I, I did an interview with someone about the Marshall Islands. It's a free associate. It's a they signed a compact of free association with the United States in '83, and they gained their independence in '86. At the same time, they have a lot of America in their system. Everything from they're case probably a protectorate then. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's something that we need to keep uh, keep track of. And I feel like within DAOs, if a DAO is, if their entity is registered internationally, that they should tell their members what the tax implications of that are. Right. That, but that's a question. Sorry. That that that's a that's a good question that we actually see come up quite a bit. So there's maybe two steps of that analysis to think about. Number one, is the DAO even organized legally as an entity anywhere? Um, that's kind of the first step because a lot of DAOs, when they're kind of getting off the ground, they're more like a free association. And just if yeah. you're looking at like United States common law, that generally is kind of thought more of as like a general partnership. We all agree to collectively pursue an activity for profit. Um, that, that's generally kind of looked at more like a partnership uh, until you formalize it in the form of maybe an LLC or a corporation or something like that. Um, and then once you've formed it as an organization, maybe you do have people who are kind of functionally employees or contractors, um, then you've, you've got some new tax reporting obligations with that. But, but to your point, should, should the DAO have some level of responsibility for uh, explaining the tax implications to their, uh, to their participant? And it's going to kind of depend on the relationship. So if somebody's functionally maybe an employee, you, you, you would think you'd have more of a traditional employee situation where they're withholding tax for you and whatnot. And so there may be some degree of, of kind of advising you on how the tax will work with regard to your relationship to the organization. But if you are maybe a contributor and it's a little bit more ambiguous, you then you're kind of a third party from the company. And then the DAO puts itself in the position of a tax advisor. And the DAO, chances are the DAO mm. is not licensed as an attorney or licensed as a CPA and probably shouldn't be giving tax advice. Um, and so we generally advise our clients, like, don't attempt to, uh, if you are a DAO, do not attempt to uh, advise, you know, the entire DAO on all the tax implications of, your, of the ecosystem because you're effectively providing tax advice and you're not licensed to provide tax advice. I see. Okay. That I guess would be kind of like, uh, to go back to the Best Buy example, it would be like Best Buy doing open heart surgery just because one of their employees needs it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. At that point, you bring in a professional. Exactly. All right. The final thing here that I have in my notes is sales tax issue, specifically on NFTs. But in general, what are the sales tax issues that we need to be aware of in crypto? Yeah, this um, <clears throat> been working on a paper. I I call this issue the perfect storm because uh, not a lot of people are aware of it. If you get it wrong, the the penalties are high, and um, and and it can it can be a an organization killer because of the liabilities. And if you get caught. In, in the wrong situation. So what I mean by that is 
there are a lot of tokens and or NFTs um, that are what we would generally call digital goods. So, you know, in the NFT space, you might think of artworks. You know, a lot of people are familiar with like a board ape or something like that. You know, this is the stuff you would purchase on OpenSea or Rarible or something like that. Um, those are a digital good. It's essentially just you're paying for an NFT, which is more like a uh, more like a, a vehicle title, right? It's not the thing that you're purchasing. You're purchasing the ownership uh, certificate of authenticity for this thing that proves that you own it. But that means that you bought the thing. If you buy a vehicle title, you bought the vehicle. Um, mm-hmm. And so digital goods like pictures and whatnot uh, that you may normally buy from something like Getty Images are subject to sales tax in quite a few states, more than half of them. And so just because you buy them as an NFT doesn't somehow make it magically not taxable. It could still be subject to sales tax. And, um, and then separately on the token side, you could have uh, these tokens that function as maybe like a software micro license where you can redeem the token for some sort of software good or service. You know, you see this in some of these like web free systems where you, it's almost kind of like a Chuck E. Cheese token. I put in the token and I get something back out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these types of things can be subject to sales tax in, in many states. Washington was one of the first states to publish some Washington state was the first one to publish some, some really comprehensive guidance on this issue back in 2022. And, and really, I think to bring this all together, here's, here's why this is the perfect storm. So let's say I am a content creator and I'm creating digital artwork NFTs in Washington state. I'm living that van life. I'm out in the, out in the mountains. Um, I'm doing, you know, doing my graphic design work, um, and I'm selling these NFTs online and maybe I make like a million dollars during the year and maybe, you know, maybe it's, you know, getting paid in Ethereum, I'm doing great. Um, and because those products are taxable, uh, when sold, uh, I theoretically should have been collecting sales tax when I was selling those pieces of artwork. And so if Washington department of revenue finds me. They would say, well, Matt, you, you should have paid sales tax on those or collected sales tax from the buyer on those. So we're going to say that you should pay the sales tax, which in Washington, generally about 10%. Um, and they would say you also have penalties and interest because you didn't file. So penalties for non-filing, almost 40%. Interest, yeah, another 5%. So I, I could be on the hook for about 150 k in tax penalties and interest in Washington state on that example, um, because simply because I didn't even think that I might've needed to comply with sales tax laws on this. And this is tough because some of these exchanges maybe sometimes have the obligation to collect the sales tax on behalf of the contributors, but uh, a lot of them are not. And, um, and so that leaves some of these contributors potentially on the hook for sales tax. And we've seen this come up in a few limited situations where uh, folks operating in the space, you know, maybe get hit with an assessment that they weren't expecting. And it's, it, it can be, a, uh, it can be a, an organization killer, especially when those tax and penalties rack up pretty quickly. So in Washington state, if I sell NFTs, I have to pay sales tax. And I think I saw 
I saw the amount here somewhere. Um, it's 6.5% sales tax and then 0.471 business and occupancy tax. Yeah. So there's the B&I tax, that, that's kind of a tax on the seller, but the, the, that's just the state portion of the sales tax. Then you have the county, city, transportation district sections, which generally brings it up to about 10%. Okay. But that's Washington State. If yeah. I don't live in Washington State, yeah. do I have to pay taxes on NFTs that I sold? Good question. So sales tax is funky in this regard because generally if I sold a digital product, so I think, Andrew, you're in California, right? So if, if, if I I'm sold- I'm now in Texas. You're in Texas now. Okay, well, let's, mm -hmm. let's pretend you're in California. I think a lot of your listeners okay. are probably in California. <laughs> um, if I sold a, you know, a digital uh, artwork NFT to you and you're sitting in California and I know you are my customer, uh, I would generally attribute that sale to your location, to where it's delivered to. And, and digital goods like that are not subject to sales tax in California. So I wouldn't necessarily be on the hook for any tax, uh, sales tax specifically, um, in that situation. But let's take that same example, but let's say we did it through an exchange and I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. So I've simply made a sale through an exchange and all I'm doing is delivering the NFT to your Ethereum address. Um, in that situation, the way the sourcing rules would work, it would say, well, if you don't know where your customer is, then you kind of go down through this waterfall of steps. And then, it, and then if you don't know anything about the customer, you revert back to where the digital good was, uh, transmitted from. And so that ends okay. up kicking it back to the origin, uh, for sourcing purposes. And so where you may owe tax or where your sales tax obligations on this may come up can depend on whether you know who your customer is and then if you do, where they are located. And then if where they are located is in a state that taxes digital goods, then you may have a sale tax reporting obligation on, on that sale. Is, is Washington state the only state that it applies to right now? Good, good question. So this, this is one of those interesting things where tax law hasn't quite caught up with, uh, with the modern economy. And so, uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of states that have digital good taxation laws on the book where it just says, you know, digital artwork is taxable or, you know, digital images are taxable. Um, but it doesn't necessarily call out anything NFT or blockchain or token related. And so you, there's a lot of people who said, well, I'm not going to pay tax on that because the law is not specific enough. We, we generally advise against that. Um, Washington kind of came out and said, uh, no, if you look at our digital good laws, they're pretty clear. This covers digital images, which includes NFTs, and we're going to apply this retroactively. Um, back to, I think it was maybe like 2010 when that, when that was enacted. And so, um, so you, you don't necessarily get to put the blinders on and say, oh, I don't know. The law's not clear. I'm not going to do anything. Um, you know, Washington's example and approach to this is spot on. And I think a lot of other states are probably going to follow suit. I see. And so if, follow, if they're going to follow suit, there's a chance that other states will say, yes, you've always needed to pay sales tax on NFTs that, that you sold. You always needed to withhold it and then pay it to us. Just because we didn't come out and specifically say it doesn't mean that that wasn't true. You owe us going back to when you when you made that sale even years before. And so we need to be aware that if there's sales tax on digital goods in our state, 
even if our state has not explicitly come out and said that that applies to NFTs, it will apply to NFTs. We can at least assume that there's a strong chance that it will. Exactly. Yeah, there, there's a there's a high risk that, especially with the digital artwork stuff. Um, are there other states that say that digital goods are taxed? I know I've sold content online for years, and I was told that the way that because I sell it as a membership into a community, I don't have to pay sales tax. And yeah, so that or, that's something that's kind of been changing over time, um, and more states are getting on board. And kind of whether you do it as a subscription, you know, you might look a little bit more like Netflix um, versus mm-hmm. being being selling uh, selling something as a single item. Um, when you sell access to a database, that generally kind of falls into what we would call an information service, mm-hmm. um, and that's taxed a bit differently than selling a specific singular digital good. Um, and yeah. information services are taxable in some states, but the, but the much smaller subset of states than digital uh, artwork goods are taxable in. Um, it's like maybe roughly like 30 states would tax digital artwork. And like, I think it's like seven or eight states that tax information services, which that's a whole other kind of funny thing where it's like, I could buy access to a bunch of digital goods and that's not taxable, but I could buy a digital, a single digital good and that's taxable. That seems a little bit right. odd, but that, that sales tax law doesn't always make sense. And, and, and that's probably why I have a lot of job security. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. And even Netflix has a page up on their site about this where it there is no sales tax but i but it also says it depends on it seems to say it depends on where you are okay all right i hadn't thought of that i think what you're saying is we're looking at nfts as a ticking time bomb of taxes and if we're not at least aware that we could potentially have to pay taxes on them we're we're going to be i don't know surprised yeah yeah exactly i think this is one of those things where um States are in the process of catching up, uh, like Washington finally got their, you know, their stuff out there and they're even, you know, ho- ho- hoeing that in as well. And, and other states are, you know, every state is generally pretty, you know, starved for tax at any given time. And they're, they're looking for unreported taxes. So this is an area that seems to be getting a lot of attention. And this is one of the things where you don't want to wait for the state to get caught up, figure out how this works and then put you down. You, you, you want to get in front of it. Okay. Um, wow. I, now I'm going down a rabbit hole of looking up Netflix sales tax. Sure. Several states, including Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Washington, currently tax streaming services under existing sales tax laws. Yep. Um, wow. All right. I think we've covered a lot here. We talked about tax consideration for DAO participants, and we discussed the three different types. We talked about how to make it manageable, and you really gave us a big list of uh, of tools that I'm going to have to go through the transcript. In fact, if you don't mind just sending that over to me, I'll make sure that we include as accurate a list as possible. And we talked about the sales tax issue and uh, and then along the way, we've covered other topics. I think we got it all right, Matt. I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Love, love having these conversations. This is an area I'm super passionate about. I could talk for hours, but I'm sure this is one of those things where uh, everybody says, oh my God, I've heard. I've heard about taxes for the last 30 minutes. I'm going to go take a nap. (laughs) You know what? Truthfully, for me, it's one of these topics that just seems so scary and unapproachable that I feel like, all right, I'm just going to have to find a way to give it to my accountant and let them take care of it. And 
the fact that you've at least made me aware of what I need to be, what I need to pay attention to is helpful for me. So if I do have a, a sale of an NFT, I want to be aware of that. Where and how I participate in a DAO is something I'm going to want to tell my accountant about and make sure to include that in my conversation with them. I know that what they do is they send me a big envelope of paperwork every year that I have to fill out, the tax organizer. And every year I say, can you give it to me in uh, in a PDF so that I can fill it out online, which they will. But that's about as modern as they will go because the PDF does not have any of these implications in it. So yeah. now at least I know what I can talk to them about and have a general understanding. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the idea is we want to arm you with, with some information to know what questions to ask and when you get into yeah. the discussion. All right, Matt, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you.